0: Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson!
1: You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. It's crucial for the world's salvation.
2: Hey everybody! It's May 29th, twenty twenty two. My name is Devays, and I'm joined by my co-host Al.
1: Barely here, I'll tell you. Um, I'm uh, recording from a ranch in Liberty, Idaho, up at the tops of the mountains. Devays, this is an awesome place.
2: <laughs> wow, you are really sacrificing. You know, I, I've heard sacrifices bring forth the blessings of heaven. That's that. That seems to be a familiar strain, and I, I, I can absolutely assure that you are going to be blessed for. For recording our ninth episode of the Mormon News Roundup. Now, in uh, this this week's episode, uh, uh, unfortunately, there was a a lot of tragedy, and we're in the wake Mm -hmm. of a terrible school shooting at Uvalde, uh, Texas. And we're going to dissect the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints' positions on gun control and violence. We'll critically examine episode six of Hulu's Under the Banner of Heaven series. We're going to ruminate about ex-BYU student Julie Stoffers' return to the MTV Real World New Orleans series. And we're going to do a deep dive into Elder David A. Bednar's revealing National Press Club speech and the question and answer session that followed. Head on over and check us out on mormonnewsroundup.org. That's with two ends, a mormonnewsroundup.org. We'd love to uh, uh, connect with you as a listener. And we're just going to jump into our very first news article. And it was kind of a tough week for the news, wasn't it, Al?
1: It was a, a real tragic week. And uh, there's, you'll notice that we're only doing um, really four topics this week because they're kind of big uh, topics. So we just don't have I – mean, we, we had more articles in the news, but we had to cull them out when we were doing this uh, setup for this, uh, for this recording because it's just uh, these ones are the most important.
2: It sure is, and you know, it seems like everybody in that small Texas town of about fifteen thousand people has some kind of a connection to those who perished. I mean, it's one of the deadliest school shootings in U.S. history. You know, I'm a former school teacher myself; spent many years teaching in the public schools. My wife Mm -hmm. still teaches fourth grade here in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and it's something that's uh, always on our mind. And uh, you know, our Mm -hmm. thoughts uh, go out to the family members and during this really, really difficult time. Yeah. Um, Now, the church did have a response to um, the gun shooting specifically, and that was at uh, Elder David A. Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Mm -hmm. He gave a presentation at the National Press Club last Thursday with a statement that talked about that mass shooting, the deaths of 19 children and two adults in in that tragic elementary school. And he said, quote, Sadly, the news of our day is filled with heartache, including the tragic events and the loss of life most recently in Texas. We mourn with those who mourn and pray for all those impacted by this senseless act of violence. My prayer and my blessing is that we will be guided, comforted, and helped in our important work and that victims, families, and nations might be granted the peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. How do you feel about that? That's the church's official response. That's all, that's all we've gotten on this. How do you feel about that uh, official response there, Al?
1: I honestly I just don't feel like it's enough. I I, I just think that this was mm-hmm. this is something that really deserves um a a big statement. This was a big tragedy and I just feel like that statement uh, it, it just seems a little uh, oh mediocre for how significant this tragedy was
2: it didn't come out of the newsroom it wasn't from the first presidency office mm-hmm. it was only kind of a one off in a in a press in a press club uh, briefing so i guess you can say that that is the level of signific- significance of it and i think also what is significant in it is there it was no call to action mm-hmm. there was no unifying message that says you know our, our thoughts and our prayers were with them, and let's work together to i don't know fill in the blank to mm-hmm. do something,
1: yeah, for sure.
2: it was only thoughts and yeah. prayers, yeah, so it's it's kind of like as a yeah. member, I'm thinking, okay, um the lord's message is that this is horrible, but what do I do with that message what 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 am I supposed to do mm-hmm. to stop this from happening? you know, because I worry honestly every day that my wife is in the public schools. And something like this could happen. I, you know, I even worried, you know, in the back of my head is when I was a former, you know, when I was a mm-hmm. teacher, that something like this would happen. So it would just be nice if there was some kind of a some, something going forward that I could sink my teeth into to mm-hmm. say, OK, this is what, what we should be doing about this horrible e- epidemic. Yeah,
1: something s- substantial. I mean, th- for, for a church that really wants to be the leaders of the world, I mean, this is uh, the one and only self proclaimed true church. Give us some leadership. Lead the rest of the world. You know, get, tell us what to do, because, you know, thoughts and prayers are not uh, protecting and saving these kids nearly as effectively as uh, lobbying for some sort of uh, um, well, legislation to protect them, to control gun uh, availability to crazies. Uh, yeah, something. We, let's do something.
2: Well, yeah, I know the church, the church does spend a lot of money lobbying, but not in guns. Mm-hmm. They spend a lot of money lobbying LGBTQ issues. That's mm-hmm. where the church really spends a lot of money. Certainly, yeah. And and last time I checked, you know, all these LGBTQ issues, I, I don't, you know, unfortunately, tragically, there are some people who die over those issues. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's nothing compared to the gun, the gun violence epidemic. Well, no. The, talking about, you know, a
1: lot of people. Yeah, th- this uh, tragedy happened in a town of 15,000 people. And I guarantee you that there was a lot more children in the town of 15 people than there were members of the LGBTQ community. I don't want to marginalize um, that minority, but I do want to put this in perspective. I mean, there's not a single family in that town that wasn't affected, that that didn't have some sort of skin in this game.
2: Right. So, I mean, the church has filed amicus briefs for these LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've they done legislative pushes, but they don't, they don't do any leadership really on abortion. They don't do any leadership mm-hmm. really on gun control. They don't really—they've done a little bit on immigration, not a lot, but a little bit on immigration. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, this is one of the most perplexing and most, you know, tragic— it's one of the most tragic aspects of our life in modern-day United States. Yeah. And— as a member what am i supposed to do about it that's just what i'm wondering yeah. because i you know i don't know what the solution is
1: yeah uh, you know the, so what that, is the yeah what what is the, and that's that's what the, we need to see uh, the church had no problem mm-hmm. shelling out 25,000 or t- sorry 25 million dollars so, during that uh, prop 8 uh thing in the t- early 2000s uh, but yeah there's nothing with regards to gun control uh, and that it's laissez-faire as far as the abortion issue is concerned, um, you know, with immigration, right. it's like, Oh, well, you know, the golden rule when it comes to immigration, I guess, but uh, you know, nothing when it comes I mean, to just thoughts and prayers when it comes to gun violence.
2: I mean, the church has a lot of deep pockets. They could have lobbyists mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill. They could hire a whole squad of lobbyists on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. to you know, to, to, to get the legislation over the finish line that would— that w- what, what is the legislation that God would like to have? That's, yeah. that's what I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just God, God gives us our agency. Well, you wonder, I think back into the Scriptures that God, you know, think about—remember Uzzah in Second Samuel 6, the guy who uh, studied the ark and then got zapped? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, God, yeah, God took his agency and just, bam, yeah. gone. Toast, nobody mm-hmm. buddy. You're gone. Yeah. Just, so where
1: was Uzzah's agency? Yeah, just for touching. So Uza, just, Uzzah, just okay. for touching the ark. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, just <laughs> for touching the ark. So it, it's odd that we're so worried about God's agency. Why, uh, well, let's think about First Nephi chapter 17. Remember, Nephi mm-hmm. reached out and shocked his brothers. Yeah. So could God have zapped this killer? Uh, just like he zapped Uza? Could he have reached out and shocked? Him, just like we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, God has no problem in the Scriptures violating all kinds of people's agency. Remember all those mm-hmm. people who were alive before the flood? Exactly. Where was their agency? Yeah, I, I you know, where is their agency? Their, their
1: agency was uh, clambering at the uh, the doors of the ark, trying to get in, wasn't it? Um, at, but God didn't uh, didn't curtail that. <laughs>
2: Right. Yeah. So, you know, where was the agency of, um, you know, the people when, when Noah brought forth mm-hmm. all the pestilences and it killed all of those little children? Remember the firstborn children oh, yeah. who were innocent? Mm-hmm. They had no oh, idea what yeah. was going on. Yeah, Moses. Uh-huh. Where was their agency?
1: I'm sorry, what did I say? Uh, Noah? Noah, what we were talking about, Noah, just before that. Yeah. Okay. Mo-
2: yeah, what about those little children's agency who had no idea that they were supposed to put the lamb's blood on the door? Where was their agency? Well, sure. And- I also think about, you mm-hmm. know...
1: Go ahead. No, it was, it was, well, sure, you know, th- yeah, those kids hadn't that's done that's anything. Wrong. They were
2: kids. Yep, they, and, and God just took their agency away from them. Boom, you're dead. You have no agency. Yeah. Think about Nephi in the Book of Mormon who killed Laban. Think about Captain Moroni who went out on, on a lot of killing sprees, and so did Mormon. Mm-hmm. God has no problem throughout the scriptures of just taking away people's agencies just like that. Boom, mm-hmm. your agency's gone, buddy. Yeah. So why is agency now so gosh darn precious that God can't intervene— and take out these shooters before it happened
1: well i'll tell you that's what i'm wondering uh, david this this one is something that i've it's very near and dear to me because i I am a gun owner um I've got a few guns, but i'm also very much in favor of uh legislation to control who can and cannot have guns i mean if the government's going to go to, as far as telling me. Um, that I need to check out my gun and keep it in a like government controlled facility. That's okay with me actually, because I don't ever plan on using my guns to take human life. I don't, and I don't want my guns to fall into the hands of people who are motivated to do that. So I, I can't we just do something. I mean, what is this all about? It seems like this is rooted almost in, um, you know, we're going to talk about this uh, later in the episode about Under the Banner of Heaven, but it seems like it's in kind of the crazies that are in the backwoods just hoarding their guns and uh, their supplies and uh, their bug-out shelters just waiting for the government to try and march on them and try to take their guns away so that they can fight back. It's weird. I, I don't see that day coming. I, I just don't see it.
2: Yeah, I wonder, see, the church, some people say, well, the church isn't going to get involved with this because it's not a moral issue. It sure seems like a moral issue to me. How can they How can they you say know? that's not
1: a moral issue? How can anybody say that, you know, the killing of school children and, you know, children who are trapped in, the parents aren't even allowed, the parents were uh, trying to bust out the windows to get to their kids to protect them, and the police were trying to hold them back. The fire department's trying to hold them back, say, oh, no, well, we just got to let this play out. Like, I mean, it it wasn't handled perfectly. Uh, I think people did the best that they could. But I'm very glad that this uh, Border Patrol officer was able to get in there um, and follow uh, going against protocol because he called for backup. He should have waited for backup, but he went against protocol. He went in there, he took his shot, and he was able to stop this tragedy before even more children were killed.
2: Yeah. And, you know, in Texas, you can buy an assault rifle when you're 18, but you can't buy a handgun until you're 21. Yeah, it's weird. How does that make any sense? Yeah. And,
1: and which one uh, do you think is going to kill more people? <laughs> yeah,
2: obviously the assault weapon. Yeah, uh, that's what we're seeing anyway. Um well you look in, you try to look in the scriptures for okay, what is the scriptures trying to tell us about what we should do with guns. I do have a couple i do uh, I do have one or two scriptures alma chapter twenty four verse fifteen and sixteen. Okay. This is from the anti Nephi Lehis mm-hmm. and it says, "Oh, how merciful is our God, and how behold, since it has been as much as we could do to get our stains taken away from us, and our swords are made bright. Let us hide them away that they may be kept right as a testimony to our God at the last day." Or at the last day we shall be brought to stand before him to be judged that we have not stained our swords in the blood of our brethren, since he imparted his word unto us and has made us clean thereby. And now, my brethren, if our brothers seek to destroy us, behold, we will hide away our swords, yea, we will bury them deep in the earth, that they may be kept bright as a testimony that we have never used them at the last day. And if our brethren destroy us, behold, we shall go to our God and be saved. So the anti Nephi Lehis, they were extreme pacifists. Yeah. So is that what we're supposed to do is, you know, there's no guns in the Book of Mormon, but but is that what we're supposed to do is not have guns and and turn the other cheek?
1: Well, that's what the equivalent would be, wouldn't it? I mean, and this is what they're saying is, uh, and this is, these are people that we're killing in a time of war. So, I mean, when we talk about, well, you know, what about uh, when you go to war, you need to be able to take human life because you're fighting against people that are trying to take away uh, the freedoms of your people or trying to kill your people. So you have to defend yourself. These people had been using their swords to defend themselves, and yet even then they said, "No, we don't want this—the uh, blood to stain our souls. We want this, our, we want at the Second Coming these uh, swords to be found shiny and unused." And uh, you know that's how—that's the message of the Book of Mormon. So when it comes to looking to scriptures for guidance, it seems like pacifism is the way to go.
2: But on the other hand, Al, let's look at the life of uh, Joseph Smith. Yeah, He brandished a sword. He used guns. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been, have you ever been to Carthage? I've been to Carthage jail. Yeah. I've seen the spot where he was yeah. killed at. Uh-huh. And, you know, this is from FairLatterDaySaints.org. Mm-hmm. There's overwhelming evidence that from the earliest days to the present, yeah. both official and unofficial yeah. church publications have repeatedly mentioned that Joseph Smith had a pepper box pistol that he used to defend himself. And, in fact, mm-hmm. it's still in the church's... Uh, church history in salt lake the actual gun that he used to defend himself is still in there oh yeah it's there if the founder yeah if the founder of the religion has no problem using a gun to defend himself Mm -hmm. the question i have is you know what are we supposed to take from these seemingly conflicting accounts in the scriptures and what are we supposed to do to prevent something like the the horrible massacre that happened in texas from happening again
1: um so far we have erred on the side Devays, of not um what not uh taking guns away from people or not allowing um the second amendment to be impeded at all I, and i don't think this has to do with the second amendment um i i think what this is about is uh, if we're going to err, i would much rather see The people of the United States, our government of the people and by the people and for the people guarantee the life, liberty and happiness of the people. I mean, our right to life before it would guarantee our right to bear arms is a, well, uh, regulated militia. Um, So, so far, it seems like we're more erring on the side of, well, we certainly don't want to impede people's right to bear arms regardless. But... I mean, do do we have to let the, well, do we have to let the crazies have guns? That's where I'm coming from.
2: Well, the church doesn't necessarily technically have an official position in the handbook because mm-hmm. I went and researched it. However, back in mm-hmm. 2019, the church released a letter to everyone mm-hmm. and they put it into the handbook about a in policy for people coming onto church property. Yeah. And it prohibits nearly every parishioner from having a lethal weapon. It doesn't matter if you mm-hmm. have a concealed carry permit. Yeah. You're not allowed to. Uh, this is from the statement. It says the churches mm-hmm. are dedicated for worship of God as havens from the cares and concerns of the world with the exception of current law enforcement officers the carrying of lethal weapons on church property concealed or otherwise is prohibited
1: yeah and i th- if i'm not- so the
2: church seems to be anti-gun
1: yeah if i was if i'm not mistaken i think that was uh released after there were uh, a couple of incidents if uh, might maybe not a couple but there was at least one incident where somebody brought a gun to church and uh they and it accidentally went off yeah exactly so that's when the church said hey don't bring your guns to church, and that's so far. That's all that they've said is don't bring your guns to church. They haven't said don't bring them to a school and don't shoot up the the children. You know, I mean, this is heartbreaking to me, Devays. I mean, I, I I've never met your wife, but I mean, you say she teaches fourth grade. She there, but for the grace of God, she could have been in that same school, or it could have happened in her same school. Huh. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But the church also maintains uh, four schools, you know, the three BYUs Mm -hmm. and also LDS Business College renamed Enzyme College. So what is their policy? Because you assume that whatever the policy is at the chapels and at BYU, that must be pretty close to the church's position, right? Sure, I would think so. Stands to reason? What you have to imagine stands to reason. So the BYU, and this is from uh, policy.byu.edu, it says the firearms and weapons policy. Firearms and other weapons are not permitted concealed or or unconcealed with or without a concealed weapon permit on any church-owned property unless... You are a, a law enforcement officer, BYU police, BYU security. And then there's other, a couple small exceptions for BYU ROTC members mm-hmm. who uh, shout out to BYU ROTC. I'm a graduate of BYU ROTC. So mm-hmm. they, they're trying to make it so that the campuses and chapels and everything are guns free. And of course, the only problem with that is that the schools in Texas, that school in Texas, mm-hmm. that was gun free too. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily stop killings. Well,
1: and, I, and that's the problem. Yeah. And I know that they say, well, you know, if you, uh, if you outlaw guns then then only criminals will have guns well uh, this guy criminals have guns now and you know we're not doing anything to stop that uh at least can we try something uh, anything <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm just waiting for the church leadership yeah. to tell me um, that they told me what we're supposed to do for LGBTQ. They've got it line-eyed down to the iota yeah. of exactly what rights, what laws, what bills. Everything is completely lined out for mm-hmm. all uh, trans rights, you know, mm-hmm. r- rights in the workplace, rights on. That's all lined out. Yeah. Nothing on uh, on gun violence. Nothing.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know,
2: so. You know, 32%, I, I looked this up on, uh, this is from a uh, Newsdog Gallup poll, it says that 32% of US adults say they personally own a gun, mm-hmm. and 44% of people say they live in a household that has uh, a gun in it. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Burge, he's uh, famous for doing all of his statistics, he went through and, and queried a bunch of people, um, and I, I found this from his Twitter feed, I'm still pulling up here, mm-hmm. it says that Uh, Out of all of the religions, Al, uh, from white evangelical to mainline Christians, to Mormons, to Catholics, to atheists, to Orthodox, black, Protestant, non-white, Catholic, Buddhist, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, where do you think Latter-day Saints are on the spectrum of owning a gun? Are they more likely to own a gun or less likely?
1: Uh, Honestly, well, let's see. I guess if I'm going to go from my uh, locale in Utah, I would say that they're more likely.
2: They are, in fact, out of all of the faiths in uh, the United States that are listed, and there's a whole lot of them, like I just said. Mm-hmm. Latter-day Saints are third highest.
1: They're wow. very
2: much likely to be a gun. Owner.
1: Third highest—that's significant.
2: Yeah, they—they they mm-hmm. really are. They're—they're they're gun-toting folks, you mm-hmm. know. And you know, I'm a member of the armed forces myself. You own a gun. We—we mm-hmm. uh, we fit the mold here. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, you know. If Jesus was at the head of the church, would he, what legislation would he support? That's what I want to know. Would he want universal background checks? Would he want an assault weapons ban? Would he want delayed purchasing for you to have to like a like a two week waiting period? Would he want uh, you know magazines which are very small? Would he? Uh, ban, you know, these bump stocks. What is the legislature? Certainly Jesus has an opinion, right? I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Theoretically, Jesus has an opinion about what gun laws should be on the books in the United States Mm -hmm. and throughout the world. Well, There's got to be a best solution here. So what is it?
1: Yeah, certainly we can look uh, through the New Testament and find out what Jesus' opinion is just based off of what he says with regards to like uh, rebelling against the government and fighting against uh, oppressive uh, regimes. Uh, say, King Herod or the Romans, Um, Jesus did not incite violence. He was very much uh, to submit to your captors, submit, uh, you know, uh, be obedient to your oppressors and turn the other cheek. Um, So he was a pacifist as well. He wasn't advocating for violence. Uh, He would, I think that the legislation he'd be pushing for, um, if nothing else, is, you know, that do unto others as you'd have done unto you and Turn the other cheek and, you know, don't uh, don't uh, fight violence with violence, but fight violence with peace. Fight it with love.
2: And that's what you see that in those Book of Mormon passages, too. Very complicated issue. For those listeners out there, would you drop us an email? We're at kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org. That's K-O-L-O-B at mormonnewsroundup.org. Or we're at Twitter at at NewsMormon. Let us know your thoughts on this uh, horrible tragedy Mm -hmm. and and what the Church's position should be or what the Church should be doing. Mm To uh, show leadership and help prevent these kind of tragedies from happening in the future. Yeah,
1: and if, if I'm completely wrong on this, I know I'm very uh, passionate about it, but uh, I welcome your criticism. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. I would lo- I would love to hear the emails about that. So.
2: Well, I mean, that, unfortunately, this goes directly into our second article, which is on, Under the Banner of Heaven, which mm-hmm. goes over a brutal murder in the 1980s uh-huh. in a small uh, American Fork uh, community.
1: Yeah. So now we're on to episode six of, let's see, is there seven or eight episodes in this one? I, I, I think there's eight.
2: I believe yeah, there's seven, out of, seven. Seven. Oh, okay. Seven. Oh, so, is there eight seven. episodes?
1: I can't remember. I think, you, I think you're right at seven now that you mentioned it. So this is the second to last episode, and it's a juicy one. Very juicy. Um, so there's, (laughs) there's some interesting things that happen in this episode of Under the Manor of Heaven. Um, we've, uh, got a, a glimpse into the life of the Lafferty family and how they got radicalized. This one gives a little bit more expose on how Ron Lafferty went, uh, from mainstream Mormonism into fundamental, uh, Mormonism, um, into some really weird, um, Uh, He he starts messing around with uh, some backwoods people in Oregon. Starts messing around with some uh, people uh, that are there. Let's see. He he, they they keep saying Salem. I'm not sure if it's actually in Salem, but I mean, there's a guy that's kind of this old prophet type guy that's got a long beard that uh, lives in the a mine that he's trying to, you know, get ready to take over the government and restore the church to the true. Um, ways and practices of the old way um, and uh, some extremely racist things are said by that guy in this episode it's a wild ride um, so uh, Dives did you Yeah, it is. yeah you, you watched this episode? Yeah, yeah I did
2: I wanted to ask you a couple of things first yeah. of all um, you know yeah. Ron Lafferty is with all of these fundamentalist dudes, mm-hmm. and it shows that he goes into a nude. There's a nude hot tub scene mm-hmm. in which he's
1: baptized
2: mm-hmm. into this fundamentalist sack. Yeah, and then he starts. Uh, yeah. He starts making out with the guy who baptized him directly afterwards. Yeah,
1: and this guy who. Um, how, how did that? How, I, it, how did that scene strike you? Huh? Yeah, I'll tell you, it was odd. Um, I, I, I it was most surprising. I mean, <laughs> They were, they were all about love. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) They were all about love, I guess. Um, You know, uh, there wasn't, uh, everything was covered. So, I mean, anybody that's got, you know, eyes that they they don't want to see a whole bunch of nudity, um, you're not going to see anything that's not covered by a bathing suit. Everything's from uh, the top of the chest up. So uh, it's, it's um, what, co-ed. They've got men and women in, in this hot tub together and, uh, Sam Worthington, who plays the role of uh, Ron Lafferty, uh, finds this uh, this sect of fundamentalist Mormons who are just practicing the same uh, polygamous religion. It, it, it kind of rings eerily similar to a lot of the ways that Joseph Smith ran things. Um, you know, a little bit uh, just, you know, fun loving and having a great time and it, yeah, um, but it, it it didn't have any of the sinister side of Joseph Smith. Like you said in our previous uh, th- uh, mention about the gun violence, yeah, Joseph Smith was not ab- opposed to taking a pepper box pistol and firing into a crowd of people that were trying to kill him. So, I mean, he did not... Uh, uh, it, 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 it just... This is more all on the side of the 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 peaceful, loving side of Joseph Smith that just loved polygamy and, and, you know, make love, not war. This was what this new prophet was all about. And he called himself the, the Mighty One, and that's what this episode seems to be all about, is uh, who is the Mighty One that's supposed to restore the church to the former way that Joseph Smith had it set up. Um, a lot of references to, well, Brigham Young was this way, Joseph Smith was that way, and... um the, our our hero, um, Jed Pyre, who is or Pyre, the um, detective that's trying to work this case, he's really struggling this episode. He goes through a lot of a uh, lot of real difficult things because he's seeing that um, how these people came to be is a very natural and normal way, according to the teachings of the mainstream LDS Church and you, you see some yeah. yeah you see some moments in here that um are really significant, and some moments that really are upsetting um uh, you know one of the moments that I found really upsetting was uh Al, Alan Lafferty and his wife Brenda, who is supposed to be the hero of the show, they go to get some marital advice from the general authorities um doesn't specifically say that they're apostles or uh, 70s, but you know that they're in the church office building, and you kind of get the idea that this is probably an apostle partnered with a 70 who are doing the counseling. Um, at least that's how it comes across to me. Uh, what, what, what do you think, David? Was, what did you think of that? Yes, scene? someone above.
2: You know, back back in the eighties, it was a little easier to get access to the general authorities. Yeah, because the church was you know, the church was so much smaller, like two million members.
1: Yeah, and it seemed like they did uh, pair the an apostle up with the seventy when it came to counseling like this. Um, so that that's why I, yeah. that's why I am that. That's probably what's going on.
2: Yeah, and, and Jeb Hyeri is questioning his faith during this. And the car, the the I thought that the one of the best scenes mm-hmm. in in the entire series is when he goes out to the car by himself. He's reading what is apparently um, something that mm-hmm. is disturbing to him about either history or doctrine or something about the church. Uh, some, something's bothering him a mm-hmm. lot. And His wife comes out, and he just says, you know, I, I, I feel like I can't do this anymore. That seemed like a pretty authentic scene to me. That seemed like one of the best scenes in the series so
1: far. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, from someone who left the church, this scene rung so close to, to home. Um, it was it was so significant. And the reason why, DeVase, is because, I, I you know, speaking for myself speaking for several people that i've talked to who have has who have had similar situations like me it's a heartbreaking scene i mean poor Jed is he's just he breaks down uh he is sobbing out there in the car and uh the book that he's reading it's actually it's a real book it's called mormonism um shadow or or let's see the the shadow of truth Mormonism shadow or reality shadow of reality that's by it the one. Tanner yeah by Sandra and Gerald Tanner mm-hmm. um, Sandra Tanner's still around yes. she runs light, Utah Lighthouse Ministries um, the Tanners are kind of the the forefront runners of the should we say anti Mormon literature the reason why they are is because most of the books that expose the tr- the the history of the church that causes people to leave. Um, it seems like these guys wrote most of the books, at least back in the seventies and eighties and, and the time. Yeah. yeah. so it
2: is, it is, Yeah. It's accurate that he would have been reading that book. Yes, um, it Cause is. that might've been a, a very popular it's book at the time. Now, Elder Bednar, At the uh, luncheon, he Mm -hmm. responded to the under—they gave him a question. He had a question and answer section, Mm -hmm. and this was his comment about the Under the Banner of Heaven series, and he said, quote, there's some discussion about how accurate it is, how fictional it is. This is not new. Christ was mischaracterized. We have been mischaracterized since 1830 when the church was reestablished. That has always been the case. I don't think it will ever go away. We don't like it, but we don't spend all of our time trying to respond to it. (laughs) So that's basically what you're going to get about under the banner of heaven. We don't like it, mm-hmm. um, but we're not going to spend too much time responding to it, which is a typical church
1: response. Yeah, they would prefer to sweep it under the rug and ignore it, um, pretend it doesn't exist.
2: Yeah, they, they definitely do. Um, um, so, for our, you, have anything else on this episode? Oh, or? Uh, no,
1: I just uh, I was going to say that that seems to be a, a fairly typical response for the church when and. Um, it what it does is it causes a lot of damage to people who are actually questioning, questioning and looking for help to make it make sense. I'll, because it, it's just not satisfying for most people to be told, well, just don't think about that. Just ignore it. Uh, you know, people want answers. I mean, you and I are very much people that want to find out what the answers are. I mean, if you got a question, it's going to eat away at you until you find the answer. So just to be told, Oh, well, don't worry well, about that's that. A- that's not good enough.
2: Well, you, you, uh, you remember, we covered this in an earlier episode. The church did have an official response to the 2003 book, which is still up on uh, newsroom.org. Yes. Where they line by line go through and show some of the problems, actually many of the problems of the book of the wrong history, the wrong fiction, the wrong language. So, I mean, the church, they're not necessarily sweeping it. They they've had an official response to the book. I don't think they're going to dignify this, this series with another official response since it's basically mm-hmm. based off of the book.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. So
2: yeah, so um, we we upload all of these uh, episodes, by the way, to uh, Facebook, and we also upload them to YouTube. So um, come and check us out. Drop us a comment. Let us know what you think about uh, episode six of Under the Banner of Heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only um, that's not the only thing that happened in uh, cinema uh, this uh, this week, was it, Al?
1: No, we had a rather significant story that came up um, that we've alluded to last week. I don't know that we got. Did, did we go too specific on this uh, last week? I can't remember. It's been a week. <laughs>
2: oh, we, have, we, have, we have talked about Julie Stoffer in the past, yes. so in our previous episodes. Yes,
1: because we knew that this episode was coming up. Okay, okay. Julie Stoffer. for anybody that doesn't know, um, back in the year 2000 when I was attending BYU, she made national news for being a BYU student to go on uh, MTV's The Real World. And this is a, a show that was all about getting a bunch of people from very different walks of life together. Um, with very dramatic and strong personalities, and let's just see what happens when the real them comes out and uh, they start tearing each other apart. So, uh, is that uh, that seems to be kind of the way it was, wasn't, or am I wrong? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good sum up. So yeah. she was a good good member with New Orleans. She got kicked out of BYU because she was living with people who she was not mm-hmm. married to. She was still a faithful member of the church for many years afterwards. And now they've mm-hmm. they're doing a reunion show to bring all those people back.
1: Yeah, and so I've I've watched the the pilot episode. I haven't seen the whole series, but let me tell you, there's enough just in the pilot episode and the previews. Um, including, um, I think we did an article last week about, uh, what was going to, uh, down with this boy, is there drama? Oh, the drama. If if you like drama, you ought to watch this. It's dramatic. Um, but we're going to find out a lot of things about her. Um, let's see. I don't think that she has said yet officially that she's left the church. Um, I think that will come out later on. So far in the first episode, she addresses all the pain and hurt that she caused to her uh, co-stars on this show um, because she behaved really poorly towards them, hurt their careers or tried to hurt their careers. At least she sent some emails that just ran them down. And uh, uh, let's see that her, uh, her roommate in the first um run of the show um he he came out as a gay person somewhere in that process and she uh uh, she i guess sent an email to this school running him down and saying well i'm a better candidate because i don't think you want a gay an openly gay person to be um giving a talk to these students to be a role model for what they should look up to you don't want them to look up to a gay person lest it turn them gay for some you know that I don't understand that uh, line of reasoning, but OK, uh, Julie, um, <laughs> she she has no love to greet her when she comes back. There's a lot of there's a lot of daggers being uh, stared at her. If looks can kill, I'll tell you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I went back and watched uh, one of the episodes of uh, when, when she was first there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the problem is, is that she was um, pretty self-righteous. Yeah. You know, she was a little bit holier than thou. Yeah. Mm-hmm and um that that doesn't rub people the right way um no when you're on
1: these shows It n- never does it's, you know especially just because it seems to me that there's can there can be an attitude and i noticed this during my years at BYU it's pretty easy to develop an attitude that because my sins aren't the same as your sins that my sins are less significant and more forgivable or easy to be tolerated than yours um, and that's the attitude that Julie really, really exudes. Is that she's just this, you know, happy-go-lucky uh, BYU girl that's so innocent and sweet, but she'll tell you exactly what you're doing wrong, and she has no problem uh, lying if it suits her. <laughs> and that that bothers a lot of people. Yeah, she's she's a real yeah
2: yeah she didn't make a lot of friends when she was in the first season and now that she's come back that streak has continued and the article that we linked to in the show notes which was published on may 25th 2022 it says julie stopper reveals why she's no longer a mormon uh-huh. on real world home com- homecoming So this is a real yeah. surprise mm-hmm. that you know she was a real devout person you know the typical very stereotypical mm-hmm. molly mormon back in the day mm-hmm. and now she's left the church yeah um And she says in the article um, that uh, people, they were shocked. They said, you're not Mormon anymore? Yeah. And she said, uh, this is, quote, no, we left the Mormon church in 2008. Some people, they're Mormon, but they only pick some Mm -hmm. of the things in Mormonism to believe. I'm not going to believe in the racist parts, the misogynist parts, the homophobic parts, and -hmm. everything else, end quote.
1: Yeah, um, I, I I think I've known people that try to compartmentalize the church and take the good with uh with you know shunning the bad and like okay well I'll I'll believe in you know the Book of Mormon I'll believe in the Doctrine and Covenants but I'm not going to believe in racism I'm not going to believe in you know uh the anti LGBTQ uh, rhetoric, uh, but I will believe that you know the teachings of the Book of Mormon are true, and I'll follow that. So there, there's people that try to make it work, and I understand that. But um, yeah, she seems like she's decided. No, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to throw it all away and walk away from it. So, and there's plenty of people that do that as well. So, um, so- she hasn't gotten to it yet in the in the pilot episode, anyway. But uh, that that conversation's coming for sure. <laughs> It's
2: on episode three. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're on the real world, you're sequestered from your loved ones. Mm-hmm. And this time they let her husband, Spencer, come in and visit her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, things got uh, weird, right? Yeah. Know.
1: Uh, so, uh, from what I understand, they have sex. Okay. And I'm, I'm not going to say words about that. I guess, uh, they're covered by a blanket. Um, but they make no secret about it. There is a very consensual consummation of the marriage that happens on camera. And Julie is on camera. It's not that Julie didn't know there was a camera there. I mean, these guys, they know that there's a camera. So her personality is just uh, skeevy is a good word for it. I would say, Um, I would call her skeevy that she has no problem with a camera rolling on national television showing her and her husband in coitus
2: right i mean talk she's just she she lives a Mormon lifestyle, ridicules everybody, mm-hmm. you know, dumps on the, uh, this is in her first, the first time she's appeared. Yeah. Mormonism is <laughs> great. You're wrong. I'm right. I'm living the real life and you guys need to shape up and behave. She comes back 20 years later. Uh, yeah, Mormonism is the worst. I'm going to have sex on camera. Then she gets into this crazy fight with her husband, mm-hmm. Spencer mm-hmm. over their Spotify account. Mm-hmm. Then she gets absolutely hammered, drunk, drop dead, spiraling out of control wasted oh i mean just i mean it's just spiraling out of control so i mean it's just
1: if you want to see a dumpster fire julie stoffer is your dumpster fire
2: (laughs) now the one thing the only last thing i want to discuss is that she said to her fellow uh castmates on this she said um i'm trying to find the uh i'm trying to find the quote here um she said that she was going to hell. I do want to discuss oh, that for yes. a, a uh, moment. She,
1: called, she says that she is a son of perdition now.
2: But she said the word that she said is that I'm going to outer, outer darkness. darkness, which is yeah. worse than outer, hell. Yeah. It's safe for people like me who are publicly mm-hmm. against the faith. So she is saying I've committed the sin, not a sin, Yeah. the sin, mm-hmm. which yeah. is to come out publicly and speak against the church therefore <laughs> i'm going to outer darkness yeah is that the church's teaching
1: is julie going to hell oh, i, I got to say deves um to be fair to the church they really are they have not ever been very specific about what the sin of against the holy ghost is so what that unpardonable sin entails there's a lot of people that would say i mean i have heard it described as to murder, to commit murder against light and knowledge um. So basically, I've heard, I've heard it said, you have to be looking directly at the face of Christ himself and turn away and say there is no God. Uh, I, I've heard it described as you have to have your calling and election made sure and then fall from grace um, or leave the church. Uh, but none of this is official. Okay, I, this is just hearsay. There's no official... Like uh, publishing that shows this is what you have to do in order to commit the unpardonable sin. There's something that says this is what that unpardonable sin is. It just the scriptures just say to deny the Holy Ghost. Um, you know, it, it's very vague. Okay, I mean, and to deny the Holy Ghost. Well, if you know that can be interpreted as either nobody's committed it or everybody's committed it, and you know, because what does that mean? <laughs> yeah I, I okay well
2: that's very good that's a pretty good summary now from the church of jesus christ org you search for sons of perdition mm-hmm. and you do get uh somewhat of, i mean it is on the church's website okay. i know it's an official doctrine but it's about as close as we can get it's, and it says yeah, under sons of perdition sons of perdition the followers of satan who will suffer with him in eternity are sons of perdition and they include two classes of people okay. number one those who followed Satan and were cast out of heaven for rebelling during pre-mortality. So mm-hmm. they never even came to earth.
1: Yeah. and, and, and so One third of the people who were... Yeah, earth. it's easy to de- to define that because nobody knows any of those people.
2: Yes, there are the <laughs> demons who surround us, Al, though. There's been 120 yeah. billion people on this earth. So mm-hmm. one third of that then would be about 40 billion mm-hmm. or so. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, about a third of that would be 60 billion. 60, yeah. Remember, because mm-hmm. it's one third. Yeah. So it would be 60 billion. There's about 6 billion people on Earth. Mm-hmm. So there's about a 10 to 1 ratio out of demons to yeah. regular people here and, on Earth. And
1: that's just right now. I mean, so we're talking at least, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's correct if if Jesus doesn't come for another thousand years that ratio could be much much higher but anyway that's class number one we're digressing number two is those who were permitted to be born into this world with physical bodies but then served Satan and turned utterly against God those in the second group will be resurrected from the dead but they will go to outer darkness it doesn't seem like Julie really fits either of those to me
1: Uh, if she's okay if she's trying if she's now serving Satan She's doing a real poor job. She's not a very good servant. I mean, I, I would call her a slothful and not a wise servant of Satan. Uh, so, um, so I, I think she's a little ambitious. I think that she gives herself a little too much credit. <laughs> Because she, okay. she doesn't strike me as being a Satanist. She strikes me as being someone that still wants to be perceived as being a decent, good person, even though she's changed her religion or maybe even left all religion together. And, and that's fine. I don't consider, I don't think a lot of atheists really openly consider themselves as serving Satan or actively working towards uh, building a kingdom for Satan
2: okay well, let's just let's just took take a, take a look at two last things about this cuz i yeah. was really curious about this she seems to think well, where is she getting this idea that she is going to be one of the few people who goes to outer darkness uh-huh. that is a terrifying thought for someone to go through so joseph smith taught in the king Follett discourse mm-hmm. he said quote all sin shall be forgiven except the sin against the Holy Ghost, mm-hmm. for Jesus will save all except the son of perdition. Mm-hmm. What must the man do to commit the unpardonable sin? Okay. He must receive the Holy Ghost, have the heavens opened unto him, and know God, and then sin against him. After a man has sinned against the Holy Ghost, there is no repentance for him. He has got to say that the sun does not shine while he sees it. He has got to deny Jesus Christ when the heavens have opened unto him, and to deny the plan of salvation with his eyes open to the truth of it.
1: Mm-hmm. So this is from the King Follett discourse in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, which is a book. Right.
2: Um,
1: yeah. So right. Uh, that's uh, even so like what, like I said earlier, it doesn't really clearly define what it is, but it, at the same time, it also does. And you get the, the spirit behind it, right? I don't think that uh, Julie Stoffer has that same uh, vibe about her right now. I don't I don't feel like she's out there looking at the sun while it's shining in midday and saying there is no sun.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Now, before we were we were talking about her before the show and you Mm -hmm. said you weren't familiar with it. Now, all of these talk about sons of perdition. They don't talk about daughters of perdition. Yeah. And you seem to be of the mindset that there is no daughters of perdition. They're only sons. Is that right? You
1: know, and this is something that I've been taught at uh, BYU in religion classes. So the, I've heard it said there's that daughter of perdition is not a scriptural term and that uh, this is something that the Mor- Mormons uh, would, well, let's see, I, I've heard Mormons use this as a way of saying, well, God obviously loves uh, women more because he doesn't allow them to become sons of perdition uh, there, because there's no such thing as daughters of perdition. And so it's actually a blessing to the to the female to not have the priesthood power. Because that takes away her ability to commit the ultimate sin. Wow. Yeah, because...
2: Never heard that one
1: before. Because, I mean, hmm. the, the, the sense that you get is that a son of perdition has to go through all of the priesthood ordinances. And one of those priesthood ordinances is getting ordained with both the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood. So okay. in order to become well, a son of perdition, you have to be a priesthood holder.
2: Okay, that that okay. that's just what you've been taught. Now, yeah. some people also take it a step further and say you can't be a son of perdition unless you've had the second anointing That's until you've been mm-hmm. made clean from the blood and sins of this generation mm-hmm. and you've had your calling and election made sure and that you are on, on the path, you are good to go. Yeah. You can't be a son of perdition unless you've had that and mm-hmm. then turned and served Satan directly.
1: Yeah, and how many people do you think have honestly had their calling and election made sure, have received this second annoying, anointing ordinance. I mean, it, it's a it's a real ordinance. They do it in the temple. Um, I don't think very yeah, many. Not, not,
2: it's not a lot. It's not a lot. Mm-hmm. But speaking of the, it, you know, you get it from stake presidents on up yeah. and their wives. Don't forget their wives are yeah. also second anointed that, as well. That's
1: right. And I just, oh, I don't God. think that Julie Stauffer has had her second anointing. <laughs> I'm just going to go out yeah. on a limb yeah. and say Pro- she hasn't. Prove me wrong, Julie. Okay. Call call us in. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
2: Yeah. Um, now, regarding the daughters of perdition, we're, we're going to finish this up Yeah. Here. Brigham Young said in the Journal of yeah. Discourses, Volume 8, page 222, quote, I doubt whether it can be found from the revelations that are given and the facts that exist and there that there is a female in all the regions of hell, mm-hmm. end quote. And he also said in a discourse, women must atone for sins committed by viol- vo- volition of her own choice, mm-hmm. but she will never become an angel to the devil mm-hmm. and a sin so far as to place herself beyond the reach of mercy, end quote. Okay. I'm starting to realize that I kind of wish that I was a woman here. Joseph Mm -hmm. F. Smith said that there will be no daughters of perdition, Mm -hmm. and he said that in uh, the Ministry of Meetings and the Diaries of Rudger Kloss. And so quite a few general authorities say that the only people in outer darkness are sons.
1: Okay, yeah, now now we've got it documented.
2: Yeah. However— as in most things in the church, in eighteen in eighteen ninety three, Wilfred Woodruff uh, spoke to a group of apostles and he said, Quote, There will also be daughters of perdition. There is a no that, that is I'm sorry, there will also be daughters of perdition, there is no doubt in the minds of the brethren, and that's from D. Michael Quinn's the Mormon hierarchy of power. So, do you want to believe Joseph F. Smith? Do you want to believe Wil- oh. Wilford Wilfred Woodruff? Who are we gonna believe Brigham Young? Who are we supposed to believe on this?
1: Wilfred Woodruff, who or Julie herself. Wilford Woodruff, who hurt you? (laughs) I mean, they had such a a united front. And then Wilford Woodruff went out there and said, oh, yeah, there's definitely Daughters of Perdition. (laughs) And there's Julie out there saying, yeah, and I'm one of them because I left the church.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, last thing, Miracle of Forgiveness, Spencer W. Kimball, he said, he stated, quote, the sin against the Holy Ghost requires such a knowledge that it is manifestly impossible for the rank and file of the church to commit such a sin. (laughs) Julie, end quote, Julie seems like a pretty rank and file member, and since he's the last one on this list, I guess we have to put the most amount of stock into Spencer W.
1: Kimball. Yeah, I'm actually kind of shocked. Um, One of the things I gained from this, uh, the pilot episode of this show is that, um, like, these are people who want to consider themselves to be celebrities. And I'm sure that they were famous at the time to a select audience. Um, and so maybe they did have people uh, walking up to them on the street, random people. I don't know any of these people that I can't call them a celebrity. So, I mean, <laughs> their celebrity just doesn't uh it doesn't spread very far i, I they, they uh julie was talking about how she and uh this oh i can't remember the name of the other kid that was the, the gay kid they went to this uh this college and and spoke and they were kind of laughing at the students for not knowing who they were none of the students at this university had any idea who they were because none of them watched the real world and that that was their single <laughs> only claim to fame <laughs> so I'm sorry, Julie, but you're you're rank and file at best.
2: (laughs) I mean, Julie did not make the real world All-Stars. The Mm All-Stars is where they bring all together the most popular people from all the episodes. Mm -hmm. She's never made any of the All-Star reunions. Yeah, for sure. She's a B-list real world, and uh, I guess that's better because we're (laughs) we're like, hey, Al. I hate to break it to you, but we're like C-list podcasters. So she's still got us. I
1: I have a couple of extra clips where I I was uh, a background in a couple of movies. Um, So I mean, my celebrity status is a a few steps below Julie. Um, uh, Yeah, uh, I I mean, I'm not even a celebrity in my own household, Uh, (laughs) but.
2: yeah okay um that, that's pretty good let's let's go let's dr- go to our last article here yeah. this one is a doozy yeah, it is this is from the, yes this is elder bednar national press club speech and we got this directly off of we like to uh go to the newsroom church of jesus just as much as possible because that's a that's a very good source for information about what's happening so this just happened here just a couple of days ago here in my neck of the woods the washington dc area so Elder Bednar is speaking to the National Press Club. Um, sorry, my computer's loading here, mm-hmm. and he is the first member of the church to do so since 2000, back when President Hinckley spoke before. Oh, you know why has it? Why do you think it's been so long since a senior leader of the church uh,
1: spoke? Um, are they done by invitation? Uh, and if that's the case, what did Gordon B. Hinckley say? <laughs>
2: um uh, he gave a very. You gave a very pedestrian, a very pedestrian uh, Uh address. Okay. Bednar, I think, is really going to give us a lot of useful information Mm -hmm. here. Think about the last times that senior members of the church have done real media coverage, not Mm -hmm. interviews with the Deseret News. Yeah. You have uh, have Elder Bednar at this uh, news uh, lunch uh, at the press club. Mm -hmm. You have Dallin Oaks at the University of Virginia in 2021. You have Elder Holland with the BBC interview in 2012. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Washington Post interviewing uh, Bishop Causey after the Enzyme Peak leak. Mm -hmm. We're talking about four. Those are the only four I can think of listeners. If you have more than let me know. But in the last 10 years, yeah. there's only been four senior yeah. leaders of the church who have done a real interview. Larry King, I'm sorry, that's not a real interview. And besides, that's more than 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Has done a real interview. So this this stuff just does not happen. Yeah. I don't think why do you think it's so rare for these senior members of the church, uh, church to give these big time interviews and, and, and discussions?
1: Um is it a lack of confidence i i, I don't know I'm, i i think that for the, for a church that really wants to put itself out there and be on the front front page and uh be the front lines and kind of the front runner of everything uh they really are very reserved and held back so um they sure but, are yeah very conservative
2: i mean president nelson That's has not done one major news interview since he became the president of the church not one Mm-mm.
1: No, everything has been, everything's been very guarded, like only to, we'll do a press release to our own newsroom, you know?
2: (laughs) Yep, but no No Q&As with any media Mm -hmm. that that, that could ask you a tough question. Now, sometimes they do do questions and answers, Mm -hmm. but those questions are pre-sanitized. They're not going to be off the cuff. They're going to be filtered in advance. That's right. So... um, Talking about this, you know, Al, and I know people in Reddit put out these uh, questionnaires and they say, what's your favorite apostle? And then you see the rankings and usually Uchtdorf comes out on the top and Mm -hmm. Oaks is near the bottom and Bednar, he's usually at the bottom too. But honestly, after this talk, Mm -hmm. I I, I have to tell you, Al, I think he is my favorite apostle. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because, Al, unfortunately, I'm an academic. Mm -hmm. And so is David Bednar, you know, like goes to like. Uh, (laughs) That's the thing. He speaks my language. Mm-hmm. You know, he speaks my language. Yeah. Um, so you got to have, if somebody's going to be a favorite, he's going to be my favorite. And by the way, he's going to be president of the church someday. Yeah. Because he was ordained an apostle when he was 52 years old, mm-hmm. and he's in pretty darn good shape all the time. Yeah.
1: And he, he came uh, straight out of BYU-Idaho. He was the president of BYU-Idaho right before he uh, became an ordained, the youngest uh, apostle of this generation anyway. So...
2: He's only 69 years old, and I think he's sixth in line. Yeah, And there's already ahead of him three guys who are 90 years old, uh, Elder Oaks, Elder Nelson, Elder Bednar, uh, excuse me, Elder Ballard. Mm -hmm. They're all in their 90s, so that's going to put him third. When he's going to be 70 years old, he's going to be third in line. He's going to make it, Al. He's going to be the president of the church.
1: Yeah, he will. I mean, as long as there is a quorum of 12 apostles to draw the presidency from, he will make it.
2: Yep, because it's just a big longevity. Uh, it's just a, it's outlive him contest, and he's well on his way. So in this address, he spent one third of the address on church teachings and doctrine. Okay, one third on the humanitarian mission of the church, and one third on question and answer, which I thought was a pretty nice layout. Yeah. And honestly, only the smartest apostles. Al, do Q and A's. Yeah, you know what? Only the smartest ones do. Elder Oaks did Q and A. Elder Bednar did Q and A. You know, Elder Ballard, the used car salesman, mm-hmm. he doesn't do. He doesn't uh, do. He doesn't do Q and A. No,
1: uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Jeffrey Holland would do a and A. Uh, but keep in mind, these are all the academics. These these guys were all presidents of a BYU, a Brigham Young University, whether it was Idaho or Provo.
2: Now, Elder Holland, Elder Holland did the famous BBC interview in 2012, mm-hmm. which quite frankly did not go that well.
1: No. And I would love to see him do a QA. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, just watch that uh, BBC 2012 interview, and you're oh. going to realize why he doesn't do them anymore. He's no dodo. It wasn't very good. <laughs> He's read a few books. Uh That's right. Um, Speaking of, before we're going to play some clips, and I'm going to get your reaction to this in a minute. Let me just set some more groundwork now. He spoke a lot about the humanitarian mission, and he gave each of the members in attendance that 48-page at Church's Annual Humanitarian Report, which just came out last week. And we covered that in depth in our last episode, Al. Yes, we did.
1: Didn't we? Yes, we did.
2: Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that they enjoyed what was inside. What was inside that 48-page pamphlet, Al?
1: Oh my goodness! Um, uh, what what wasn't inside that forty-eight page pamphlet?
2: All of picture pictures. It, it all those, those pictures.
1: Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this oh this this pamphlet it um it laid it out. <laughs> Yeah.
2: Lots of pictures. Uh, It it looked like it was written for somebody with a fifth grade education. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was amusing. We covered that in depth in our last episode. Mm -hmm. Go back and listen to it. Now, what's interesting is Elder Bednar, these Q&As, you could submit them in advance Mm -hmm. through an email to the uh, National Press Club. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look like the church screened these, which is very rare. And Also, Elder Bednar, he did no big gaffes in this, and he took the tough questions rapid fire with the reporter right next to him. And he did what I believe an apostle is really supposed to do. You know, he um preached the gospel, he gave his message, he handled the tough questions, and uh I thought he did what he was supposed to do, and I thought overall mm-hmm. he did a pretty good job.
1: Yeah. Uh, and
2: he, what's interesting also is oh, go ahead. oh, I was
1: just gonna say he, he did as good a job of representing the church's finances as that pamphlet. Um, it, it was very sweet and very uh sugar coated. Sure.
2: Very <laughs> positive. Very positive. <laughs> very positive. <laughs> very positive narrative mm-hmm. is what he delivered, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and he also, there was no real historical or scientific claims whatsoever. That's in a big contrast <laughs> to Elder Nelson. Elder Nelson, remember, in the Worldwide Devotional yeah. for Young Adults uh, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, was full of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Elder Bednar, not one scientific claim. Nope. Elder Bednar is a smart, smart cookie. Mm-hmm. He's got a PhD from Purdue. He's no dodo. No,
1: he, he, okay. he knows the, uh, what yeah. can be tested and what can't. Yeah, he's a
2: smart guy. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I want to talk about, uh, here's the first clip. And the first clip, I've got about six or seven clips here, so let's try to get through them fast. And I've got these uh, turned up to 1.4 speed, so they won't take quite as long. But he is going to talk about the church's humanitarian efforts and projects, and he's going to bring up that $906 million figure that we talked about last week. Let me play this for you.
3: 20 years ago, President Hinckley mentioned that the church completed 829 humanitarian projects in 101 countries. Last year, that number was 3,909 projects in 188 countries. And this was just one portion of a comprehensive $906 million effort to care for those in need.
1: Now, did that come through, yeah,
3: okay, that one now? That one
1: came much clearer than uh, President Nelson.
3: Yeah.
2: That's good. So he said that the church gave $906 million mm-hmm. to help those in need this year. Yeah. That is that a true, true statement? Uh, technically,
1: um, well, I guess, I guess, <laughs> I guess it, it depends on uh, yes, uh, if you count the all, all of the church's yeah. members donated to the church in order to make that donation.
2: Yeah, and we covered this in depth in our last uh, in our last mm-hmm. episode. But that nine hundred six million dollar mm-hmm. figure that includes member members giving to other members that is filtered through the church yeah that's not the church reaching into its own resources and coming up with 906 that's me giving to a pool which is a pool of money which is immediately given to another member who is in need Mm -hmm. so it's not really the church giving it it's more me giving it through the church yeah (laughs) so yeah. yeah technicality yeah, using that 900 yeah it's a technicality but for those who are not in the know they wouldn't understand that what the church actually gave this last year was 56 million dollars mm-hmm. of church given donations yeah. not 906 million mm-hmm. we covered that in our last episode now, yeah. our next uh our next one is we get to hear finally somebody asks uh, uh about the, the stock market mm-hmm. and uh, elder bednar is asked about enzyme peak because everybody oh, knows yeah. that the church's investment, arm, Enzyme Peak, has around 100, $100 billion in it. Now, the church has admitted that there's $50 billion in it, but mm-hmm. the whistleblower says that there's 100 and the Widow's Might organization thinks it's around 105 Yeah. But it is probably in that neighborhood of 100 to 105 So he gets asked about that, and his answer is very revealing. Let me play this for you. Okay.
0: With over $100 billion in funding assets, the LDS church has more capability than any other church in the country to help eliminate poverty. What more could the church do in terms of humanitarian efforts
3: here? Okay. I hope I address some of that and what I just said. You wanted to move quick. Uh, and number two, if you take a look at the stock market, I don't think it's $100 million anymore.
2: Okay. So he, the, the Deseret News corrected him. He says, take a look at the stock market. I don't think it's $100 million. The Deseret mm-hmm. News put that billion back in there. He meant to say $100 billion. Yeah. And even the Deseret News corrects that. Yeah. So he didn't say, uh, what are you talking about hundred billion? Where are you getting that?
1: Mm-mm. Yeah, he didn't say that. <laughs> He's saying it's probably not a hundred billion anymore because the stock market is tanked. <laughs> so Yeah. So if it was worth according to the widows
2: might hundred and five billion, and the stock market is quite down for the last little bit. I looked at my 401k, it's doing horribly. But it, the stock market is down. Yeah, for so, sure. So yeah, it might have crossed below a hundred billion. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't he didn't say what are you talking about, hundred billion, there's only fifty in there. You know, this is a tacit admission that the number is somewhere in the ballpark.
1: Yes, uh, which is uh, let's not forget, double what the uh, pamphlet said.
2: Now that the humanitarian pamphlet did not talk about enzyme oh, because
1: no. that's not human. The, uh, the church.
2: Yeah, the church doesn't use Enzyme Peak for any of its humanitarian. Nothing comes from Enzyme Peak. Enzyme Peak Mm -hmm. is a war chest. There's only been three um, withdrawals from Enzyme Peak since it was founded back in the 90s. The three are to bail out the church's uh, Deseret Mutual Insurance Company, to pay for the City Creek Mall, and then for the uh, churches to settle the uh, Boy Scout sex abuse scandal Mm -hmm. because the church had a lot of people who. We're suing it, and yeah. I think they gave up – I wanted to say it's around $500 million. Yeah. So there's only been three disbursements, nothing yeah. for humanitarian. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I, I do want to point out uh, just on the, the uh, note of the Boy Scout scandal that the church really has uh, owned up to its responsibility and not tried to dodge out of it. So I am impressed with that.
2: You know, I am too. I mean, they just coughed it up. They didn't litigate it mm-hmm. out. They just said, "Fine, we're going to dip into Enzyme Peak. We're going to pay mm-hmm. all these, all, all these, all these folks," and and the payouts have already begun. Yeah. You're not seeing a lot of people who are coming forward from the Boy Scouts and saying, "Hey." Uh, you know, I was wronged and I haven't gotten my money. There's a reason. is because True. it's all been settled. From There was several class action lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, uh, several of these big law firms got tens of thousands of people together and they did huge class mm-hmm. action against the Boy Scouts of America, mm-hmm. which is one reason that it filed for bankruptcy. But the church came and backstopped it and said, we are going to take care of this. So um, that's better than nothing, but it mm-hmm. would have been nice if there had been a, no abuse to begin with, I guess. Sure, yeah. Anyway, um, now the the the... I've got a question, Al. So you have got a hundred billion dollars. Yeah. Um, why doesn't the church? Why doesn't the church do more humanitarian with that money? The humanitarian report, like we talked about last week, was forty eight pages. None mm-hmm. of that comes from Enzyme Peak. Mm-hmm. None of it comes from there. Um, so why doesn't the church do more? out of Enzyme Peak, and do more humanitarian. This has been a mm-hmm. question that people have asked for a really long time, including Christina last week. True.
1: Yeah, that uh, nope. that 900, uh, mil, yeah 900 million figure, uh, like we said, yeah. that's from the church membership themselves, donating in offerings and, and fast offerings to the church. And then the church is distributing it um, in the name of the church. And so, I mean, on the one hand, I'm sure that the members don't disparage the church for taking claim to that because, you know, a lot, most people who donate to the church are proud to be affiliated with the church. Uh, on the other sure. on the other hand, it is the membership that's making that donation. It's not the church as an organization. Um, yes,
2: it's member to member pass through. Yeah. It's not the church. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's really a member-to-member member thing. And, and keep in mind, D.Va's this is a church that talks very much about tithing. Okay, ten percent, and you know, making sure that you're uh, giving offerings aside from tithing. So, I mean, if if the church is going to uh, use its, or, or if the church is going to pay tithing, I would expect the church to give ten percent of its hundred billion pl- plus or whatever it's at. To uh, charitable services or charitable uh, donations, uh, and you don't see that.
2: That's that seems pretty, yeah that seems pretty reasonable. That sure. would seem to be pretty reasonable. In fact, when you look at these wealthy folks, the Bill and Melinda Gateses, the Zuckerbergs, mm-hmm. some of these other people, they're often donating about ten percent of their uh, net worth oh, every single year. I, I, I
1: th- um, yeah, I think that uh, Bill Gates has given fifty uh, percent in the past of his uh, all his wealth yeah. to charity. Yeah. Yeah, they've done it a yeah. couple times. So you were asking,
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, he has. That's why his net worth is half of what it was. But every year he gives about ten percent of it away. Mm-hmm. But I think I have found the answer to why the church doesn't do more with humanitarian. Okay. People have been asking this a long time, especially since Enzyme Peak is out, and and the humanitarian report says that nothing came out of Enzyme Peak. And it's from uh, Dallin H. Oaks. Is uh, the the book? Mm-hmm. It's called The Lord's Way. And he published this in, I want to say 2000. But I found a passage in here which I think is going to answer the question, why doesn't the church spend more on humanitarian? So let me read this to you and let me get your reaction. Quote, the preeminence of the spiritual over the temporal, which Jesus taught, has many applications in our own day. For example, it explains why our church spends great sums preaching the restored gospel and building temples to perform the ordinances of eternity rather than, as some advocate, devoting these same resources to temporal concerns already being pursued by others, such as preserving the environment, researching cures for diseases, or administering to other physical needs that can be accomplished without priesthood, power, or direction, end quote. What is uh, uh, President Oaks trying to tell us here, uh, Alan? Uh, I,
1: uh, let's see. I I think I we talked about a quote uh, that the church, um, what, what he's saying is that the church is not responsible for the temporal well-being of of people, but for the spiritual well-being. Um, so the church focuses its efforts on doing what the temporal can't. Is that right?
2: Right. So right. Any, that, that's pretty much it. Anyone can help with the temporal concerns of the earth, whether you are a believer or not, whether you're in the church or not, whether you have the priesthood power or not. Anyone can help with vaccines. Anyone can give someone a loaf of bread. Anyone Mm -hmm. can give someone a fish to eat. Sure. But only the church has the priesthood power to build temples and preach the gospel. That's why the church focuses all of their resources on all of these temples, 400 temples at around 60 million a piece. I mean, that's that's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot of money. Yeah. And um, preaching the gospel. Those are the only things that the church can do with priesthood power. Anyone can do a vaccine. Anyone can build a hospital. Anyone can build an orphanage. So Dallin Oaks is telling us in this quote that those are already being pursued
1: by others. Mm, I, I, guess, I, guess. I, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I believe that. you know, that that's exactly what Dallin H. Oaks is saying. Um, I just don't agree with him.
2: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I that, that just. Yeah, the church
1: could mm-hmm. do it all. Oh, I mean the yeah. church has enough to do everything. Exactly. I mean I, I have but to pay I, my water bill and my electric bill. I don't have to pay one or the other. <laughs> so well,
2: yeah. I mean there's there's four missions that there was used to be three missions of the church back in the mm-hmm. day. Now there's the fourth mission. Yeah. But what about that fourth mission which is yeah. to take care of the needy? Church is saying that other people can yeah, do that the, instead of them. Yeah, which,
1: that's uh, for the temporal.
2: That's for the uh, <laughs> that's for the gentile.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: They let the gentile let the Gentiles take care of the poor and the needy. Uh Um, So and what's amusing, or not amusing, but what is interesting is Elder Bednar addresses that as well. He talks about um, tithing and whether the church needs your money. So let me play this clip for you, and he's talking about how people can get out of poverty and whether the church needs your money or not. Let Mm -hmm. me play this clip for
3: you. The pathway out of poverty is keeping the commandments of God, including tithing. The church doesn't need their money, but those people need the blessings that come from obeying God's commands.
2: So the church doesn't need your money. Yeah.
3: <laughs> this is this is a really juicy
1: episode, Base. Yeah. Uh, the
2: church doesn't need your money.
1: Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, obviously. So
2: but, he's 100 percent right so, the church does not need anyone's money mm-hmm, at this point yeah the church has an operating budget of, of around eight billion dollars a year. enzyme Peak brings in 10 billion mm-hmm. and um, the church real estate and other uh, commercial investments bring in about 15 billion the church brings in 25 billion dollars a year without tithing mm-hmm. without tithing brings in 25 and only has an operating budget of around seven or eight mm-hmm. So yeah I mean the church doesn't need anyone's tithing at all ever going forward in the future. Ever. Mm-hmm. yeah but he's right
1: yeah yep. and yet they they still yeah. teach that tithing, is that, is, that tithing is essential um I I, yeah. I find it I find it a little funny that he's gonna say essentially uh what I take from that is you can uh spend your way out of poverty by being obedient to the law of tithing um
2: well I mean <laughs> Yeah. Think think about that. think about yeah. the churches going gangbusters in Africa. Think about those African saints who are mm-hmm. you know making on average two dollars a day. Mm-hmm. They bar- they don't have running water. They don't have power. Mm-hmm. Um, they barely have enough money to eat. Yep. He's saying that the pathway out of poverty is for those people to pay the tiny bits that they have mm-hmm. 20, to 20 a, a church day. whose yeah. net worth. Mm-hmm. Yes, that whose net worth. Remember, widows might report. We covered this in a previous episode. Yeah. The church's overall net worth, including every asset, is two hundred and fifty billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And the pathway for those saints out of poverty is not for the church to invest in them, mm-hmm. but for them to pay that 20 cents a day to the church. Yeah. When Elder Bednar yeah. admits that the church does not need their money.
1: This uh, this almost sounds like a really um, brilliant scam. Uh, like, you know, you don't, the church doesn't need you to pay your tithing. You need to pay your tithing to the church, though. Uh, you know, don't pay your tithing for the church, you pay the tithing, you pay your tithing for you. Right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just basically like a test. It's kind of like the word yeah. of wisdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, coffee, many studies have shown that coffee has no ill effects on people whatsoever. I mean, coffee, mm-hmm. and, and same with tea. In fact, some yeah. studies have shown that drinking one cup of wine every day actually improves health. So I mean, yeah. the word of wisdom and tithing, those aren't really about uh, that um, mm-hmm. they're about obedience. Obedience is the first law of heaven. Yeah. And you shouldn't ask why. You should just, uh, you know, there's an old saying in the military, do you know, it's mm-hmm. not ours to ask why, but to do or die. Yeah, char- And that's kind of the church's approach. From the you know?
1: charge of the light brigade, I believe. So uh, yeah, the, um, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to the whole coffee thing, I, I have pretty severe asthma. I drink two cups of coffee in the morning to open up my lungs so I can breathe. But um, the church says as a matter of obedience, it would be better for me to suffer and not be able to breathe than to drink two cups of coffee, you know? Um, and it's not about the caffeine. Right. It's okay, not so, about um, whatever. Okay. It's about the obedience.
2: Yeah, it's, it's correct. It's about obedience. And that's what tithing is. It's not about uh, funding the mm-hmm. church because the church does, as he admits, doesn't need your money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our, our next clip here is uh, they ask him about church growth. And I thought this was very interesting because as we've discussed in previous podcasts, the growth in the United States is incredibly flat less than a half a percent per year Mm -hmm. that used to be one of the church's strongholds he's going to be asked about that and uh, let's hear his reaction to uh, what is happening with church growth okay Uh oh this one
0: Um, i want to talk a little bit about uh, how your membership is changing um the latter-day Saint church has said it's one of the fastest growing religions in, in america Um, But according to the latest reporting by the Salt Lake Tribune, the the church outside Utah has only added 8,000 new members it's reporting in the U.S. during the past two years. And it says Utah's growth of about 34,000 members represents the majority of the church's 42,000 member growth in America over the past two years. And for those of us who follow Pew and Gallup survey data, it's been clear that the church's replacement rate in the U.S. has been negative for over a decade. Um, Back in 2008, Pew ran a survey that said the replacement rate of the church has dropped to 80%, and that means that for every five members who leave the church behind, four new converts join the church. Can you talk about some of those findings and and how you uh, can say that the church in America is growing when we're looking at statistics like this?
3: I'd be happy to, and I'll try to be an apostle and not an academic and a statistician, which is what I used to do. I would just highlight one feature and talk about the very complicated nature of what we're discussing. If you take a look at the church in the aggregate, it is growing, which in the climate that we find today is rather newsworthy in and of itself. Secondly, if you take, for example, the western area of the United States, we have had a huge out-migration of members from that part of the, of the country. We've also had a huge migration from Mexico and Central America. I have no idea what the real numbers are.
2: And that's basically his summary. So she brings up the point that in the last two years, the Mm -hmm. church outside of Utah has only grown by just a couple thousand. And remember, this is during the pandemic. During the pandemic, all those foreign missionaries, they were redirected into the United States. There was a huge number of missionaries inside the US. And she's pointed out that uh, outside of the state of Utah for the last two years, the church growth has been nothing, Mm -hmm. uh, basically nothing in the United States. And that the church has not had a replacement rate. For every five people who join the church, Uh, four people who join the church, five people leave. And what is his answer? I have no idea.
1: Wow. Uh, His answer is essentially, don't (laughs) talk to me about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah, with with all the people moving around the Western United States, uh, I, I do know that the state of Utah has seen a huge influx of people that have moved into it. And I'm assuming that this is a lot of people that, would rather um, live amongst like-minded uh, people to themselves, um, but uh, even so, there's still that rate of uh, wow. I mean, when he's when he, when we're talking about like just a few thousand people outside of the outside of Utah are being baptized into the church in a year. Oh, that's that's kind of depressing.
2: Well, imagine being those missionaries in this climate during COVID. Yeah. Who are that? Somebody ran their numbers in Reddit and says that the, the average missionary during the past two years in the United States is baptizing 0.4 persons per year. So mm-hmm. a missionary in his whole mission is averaging less than one baptism for an entire mission. Mm-hmm. This is in the United States where there's lots of members who are supposed to be helping these missionaries find people to baptize. Mm-hmm. Imagine the depression that those missionaries are going through. Uh, beating their heads against the wall yeah
1: for sure and this just
2: must be very difficult yeah
1: absolutely yeah
2: pretty tough his answer is i have no idea um so she also asks him about trans members and uh i thought that this was a very interesting response so let's hear what he has to say Ooh. about trans members of the church uh
0: how would a trans person be treated if they had already completed their transition before exploring membership in the church
3: we welcome all and strive to love them now I use the word strive because we don't do that perfectly. And so people have stereotypes, they have misconceptions, they have biases, and they have prejudices. We strive to love everybody.
2: So (laughs) they strive to love everybody.
1: Um, I know, it's it's hard to love everybody. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing their best.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean,
2: it is. Yes, Al. What what would happen though, Al, to a trans member who joined the church? What what would immediately happen to them upon uh, being
1: confirmed? Okay, so um, it, it is it's definitely against um the church doctrine and the church teachings, and uh, if a person's going to uh, be transgender and um, uh, get like a, a gender reassigning surgery. They will instant they'll be disfellowship, so I would assume that okay you give this person all the way through the discussions, you get them through baptism you com- you confirm them and then immediately escort them into the bishop's office for a court of love where they will be dis they will have their uh what what, what they call it now dba membership restrictions. that's right you're going to get your membership restricted right after baptism
2: it's immediately <laughs> Right, no, right after confirmation, they will say, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, having been commissioned to Jesus Christ, you know, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, they give you a blessing, you'll shake hands to everyone in the circle, as you said, you'll go immediately into the bishop's Mm -hmm. office, and you'll be disfellowshipped or have your membership restricted.
1: Yep, all before your multicolored hair is even dry. Yeah.
2: Right. Uh Um, I don't, you know... I wonder, though, Al, there's got to be someone, some people out there who were trans who didn't tell. Now, being Mm -hmm. trans, in your interview questions for baptisms, being trans or committing an abortion or committing a murder, those are things that could disqualify you from joining the church. Mm -hmm. But there's some people, I'm sure, that have lied their way through it. And there may be some trans members of the church who might even Mm -hmm. be stake presidents now. Yeah, There could be. A trans state president who was now it, it would almost be impossible for someone to transition mm-hmm. while being a member and then become a state president. Almost impossible. But sure. if you never told anyone mm-hmm. you could make it um well, you know very high up into the church, there could yeah. be a sleeper a sleeper area authority out there who's trans. It's it's theoretically possible. It's,
1: it certainly is Felipe, because um okay it it hasn't been so front page news or you know uh, mainstream a topic for very long uh however a lot of people have been trans transitioning between uh the gender that they were assigned at birth through uh, biology and the gender that they identify with so i mean it and i mean it goes both ways it's not uh, you could have a relief society president um and um Maybe that's just part of their uh, the story that they give as well. I'm infertile. That's why I don't have any children. Um, there are plenty of sterile men out there, so you could certainly have a state president or an area authority that uh, says, "Well, I I'm just infertile. I'm <laughs> you know shooting blanks here." So uh, and there's no way to check. I mean, what are you going to do uh, out yourself? Um, right. <laughs> Almost assuredly, there
2: is. A trans person in the church mm-hmm. who has a high leadership position but is not open about it absolutely almost
1: assuredly yeah and and i want to also yeah we, we've seen um we've seen people that have come out in the past and said um by the way i was not born this gender i i had myself reassigned to this gender through a very expensive okay. surgery yeah. You know, ten years ago or whatever, and then the church finds out about it, and they're like, "Oh, for shame!" You know, they're quite shocked. And I guess those are the people that the church is really striving to imperfectly love the best they can.
2: Well, I also want to think about one other thing. What about mm-hmm. a trans person who is uh, they they join the church? And they have the membership restrictions, but they believe in the gospel and they love the Lord and they want to go to the temple, but they can't mm-hmm. because they're trans, they have membership restrictions. Mm-hmm. What if they're poor, Al? What if they're really, really poor? And these gender confirmation surgeries mm-hmm. they can be up to fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. You're gonna have to tell that trans member of the church, sorry, you can't go to the temple until you have gender confirmation surgery. Sorry, and I don't have the money for it. Sorry. You don't have enough money to go to
1: heaven. And this is from I mean, this is from a church that has a hundred billion dollars. Hmm. Um <laughs> but hey, I guess it's not the church's responsibility to um pay for their repentance. Um it, yep. yeah, it's but isn't it the church's responsibility to help people through the repentance process? Um, I'm thinking aloud here, Dives. So, this, this is a really interesting conundrum to run into. And the church painted itself into this corner. I'm just trying to think it logically through. Uh, it, it's a pickle. Yeah, that's a problem.
2: Yeah, and he, of course, doesn't address any of those issues, but uh, this is a rapid-fire Q&A, so I assume that we can't get into all these minutias. Yeah. I, I, um, I am
1: comforted in com- knowing that he is striving his best to love them.
2: <laughs> I, I think that we could do an even better job. That's all I'm saying. Seems like we could do more. Um, now, this isn't the only controversy, because she asks about the role of women in the church. Mm-hmm. Could, could there uh, eventually be a woman prophet in the church? Well, let's hear uh, Elder Bednar's response. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned that women lead within the church in many ways. Uh, will there ever be a female president of the Church of Latter-day Saints? Can a woman be a prophet in the lineage of Joseph Smith? It's
3: a great question. We follow the pattern of the ancient church. Uh, we believe that a man must be called of God by prophecy and by the laying on of hands, by those who are in authority to preach the gospel. And the pattern, anciently, apostles were men. That's the
2: So the pattern is, is that only men are apostles. So in other words, there's never going to be a woman prophet. He doesn't even open the door a crack. He doesn't say, oh, we could have a revelation.
3: Oh, yeah. You know,
2: we're, we're the Lord's mouthpieces. This could change. He doesn't even crack the door just the tiniest bit. Mm-mm.
1: No, there was that, that was as definite as he's been. He made that clear. He rattled off that article of faith uh, without any hesitation.
2: Yep, there's no crack open. And, you know, what I look for in a religion is that a religion can— you know, I guess I'm just arrogant because I kind of want to know why, mm-hmm. you know, religion is supposed to be able to answer the why questions. Why are we here? You know, yeah. but what's our purpose? Mm-hmm. Science, is, science is supposed to answer the house, oh, but it right. seems like the church, you know, why can't we answer? Why can't women have the priesthood? Why did blacks not mm-hmm. have the priesthood? Why? Um, I don't know. There's so many why questions that, uh, You know why was polygamy needed? Why was it stopped? Why were uh, little children not being in the Mm twenty fifteen policy of exclusion? Why were they not allowed to you know be be part of the church? There's so many why questions. And we just get, well, that's what's in the Bible. Uh-huh. I would get that from a regular church that doesn't believe in continuing revelation. They're doing the best they can. Yeah. Well, we got this 2,000-year-old book. That's all we got. I get it. Okay, that makes sense to me. And from, what, where's the why?
1: One from a church that doesn't uh, proclaim itself openly to be the church that has all the answers, that uh, claims to be the one and only true church. I mean, there's tons of denominations out there that they don't uh, claim to be the one and only true denomination they believe that god's uh talking to people uh through uh, several different dom- denominations on their level so this is a this is a really interesting conundrum especially um i grew up in an era w- during the church's big promotional videos uh like together forever and what is real and our heavenly father's plans these were uh, church uh videos put out produced by the church that ask those questions, you know. The church has the answers to: Who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from before I was born? Where am I going afterward? And what is the purpose of life? And all the why, right? And I we come to find out that the the answer to the question why that the the church claims to have is we don't know. That that that's not and unfortunately not satisfactory.
3: Been
2: yeah. Why, why can't gays marry in the temple? Mm-hmm. Why can't trans people participate fully? Mm-hmm. Why can't blacks have the priesthood? Why can't women hold the priesthood responsibility? You know, why can't they have the priesthood? Mm-hmm. Why can't they have responsibility? Why, 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 why? We don't have the answers to any of these, and none of these answers um, are have been forthcoming. And yeah. that's what I look for in a religion. I want a religion to tell me what the whys are.
1: Yeah, for sure. And
2: I'm, I'm not getting it.
1: Well, especially a church that's advertised you know? so openly that, hey, we have the whys. Okay, so you ask why, and, the, and their answer is, well, right. we don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess that's, that's a little frustrating it is. <laughs> but along the same lines he talked about <laughs> he talks about whether gays can uh, eventually marry in the temple too so let's hear what he says oh. he, he shut the door firmly on women and the priesthood mm-hmm. let's see if he can open the door for gays getting married let's
1: hear
3: it LGBTQ church members being able to marry and be still within the church we believe that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained to God and that the family is central to the father's plan for the eternal destiny and happiness of his children.
0: Uh, you mentioned so that's it.
2: Yeah, okay. she yes. asked, "Can you know can can okay. people get can gays eventually get sealed in the temple?" And his answer was to quote the proclamation of the family.
1: Yeah, and uh, that doesn't give a very um, thorough answer. Okay, so so a man and a woman are uh, marriage is ordained between a man and a woman. Okay, well, what about transgender man, transgender woman? So they've swapped genders and uh you still have a man and a woman is that okay i want i want the answer to that one I, I want the answer to that one as much as I want the answer to. Okay, if decaffeinated coffee is not against the word of wisdom, so you get a hot cup of decaf and then you pour some Dr Pepper into it with, that's caffeinated. Then does it become against the word of wisdom? Well, <laughs> if you throw some ice in there, maybe it's the hot. T- yeah, <laughs> these are the questions I want the answers to.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess you and I have different questions. We want answers to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the last clip here. We're going a little bit long. Here's the yeah. last clip from uh, Elder Bednar. and He talks about the name of the church and president Nelson. Of course, the, you know, everybody wants mm-hmm. to know, why aren't you using the term Mormon anymore? Which seems like a pretty reasonable question. Sure. Let's hear his response.
0: I've noticed that you're not using um, some words anymore. Um, Mormon seems to not be mentioned as often. Um, LDS, the acronym I accidentally, I think used it several times uh, when asking you questions. But can you talk about the decision to uh, really emphasize Church of Latter-day Saints as opposed to um, calling yourself Mormon or Church, LDS? Church?
3: I think that President Russell M. Nelson w- will be known forever as a man of remarkable courage to say we will no longer use a nickname pejoratively attached to our church by our enemies anymore. And we're inviting other people to call us what we are called, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
1: Okay, your reaction now? Really? Really? Pejorative? <laughs> he's going he's to say <laughs> that the term Mormon is pejorative. Okay, so the whole thing originates from the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith himself said that the term Mormon means more good um, so, you know, this is something that the church for 150 years used very proudly. In fact, I mean, the, uh, we talked most recently about, okay, well, I mean, uh, this was a couple of years only after the, I am a Mormon campaign. Um, I'm saying this is, oh, this is 50 years after the, um, the home front, uh, commercials were out there that said, you know, from the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, the church has been identifying itself as the Mormon church for for eons, uh, but it, but now he's going to say, "Oh well, this was a pejorative term that was made up by the church's enemies to slander the church." I, uh, no, you're wrong. Sorry, Mister Bednar, you're wrong. I'm not. I can't. I can't agree. Can't give you that.
2: Well, okay. As a can member, as a member of the armed forces who's going to be retiring somewhat soon, I can tell you that I I've known um, people of mm-hmm. great courage, mm-hmm. great fortitude who have literally put their lives on the line for our country to defend this Constitution, have put themselves in harm's way, have spent lots of time away from home um, in places that most people don't want to go ever in their lives. And so when he says that it takes a lot of courage oh, gosh. to eliminate the name Mormon from the vernacular, that the word courage, it, it doesn't really strike me as something that's very courageous maybe i'm just uh, cynical
1: you know I, I think nephi was more courageous when he said i will go and do the things the lord had commanded i rather than saying well this has been my my pet peeve that god doesn't want but, 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 <laughs> okay i'm going to circle back for uh, just a moment here to the, the this excellent clip towards the end of episode six of under the banner of heaven, where Alan Lafferty's sitting in there and saying, it seems to me that when you look at most revelations throughout history, it's just men taking their personal opinions and attaching God to it and saying, this is revelation and then calling saying, yeah, this is what it is. So uh, you have uh, elder Nelson who this has been his pet peeve, Is the church being called the Mormon church or the term Mormon being used instead of Latter-day Saint or, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's using that pet peeve and then calling it God. You know, like this is God's pet peeve because it's my pet peeve. Uh, I don't buy it.
2: I, I just don't find it to be a very... There's there's a lot of courage that could be utilized. We just had mm-hmm. a horrific shooting in Texas. Yeah. You know, a courageous thing yeah. to do. You know, that was an opportunity to show true colors. That was an mm-hmm. opportunity to find courage. Mm-hmm. That was an opportunity for President Nelson to galvanize the members of the church and say, "You know what? This is the bill that we need to be supporting. Write mm-hmm. your congressman, write your senators. Let's mobilize. Let's stop this horrible massacre from taking place." Mm-hmm. That takes courage. Put your neck on the line. Become unpopular. That's a courageous thing to do. Changing the name Mormon out of the church, um, this doesn't strike me as very courageous. No,
1: no, at at all. I mean, mean, this is a far stretch from a border patrol agent storming into a school building where there's an active shooter, even when backup hasn't arrived yet. Uh, That's courage to me. It may be stupid courage, but dang, it's courage. I mean, he went in there in the face of danger. Where's the danger in calling somebody Mormon? Or referring to it as the Mormon church.
2: Honestly, I I just want to say one more thing on this. And that's Mm -hmm. that people really misinterpret what President Nelson said about that. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, chop out the word Mormon altogether. What he said Mm -hmm. is, don't call it the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. But even in church leadership, even in the manuals now, they're eliminating the word Mormon. He didn't say, Mm -hmm. get rid of the word Mormon. He said call the name of the church by its full name mm-hmm. not the mormon church he didn't say that the word mormon in itself was inherently bad or inherently evil it didn't which be, is a good thing cuz this yeah. podcast is called the mormon news roundup he
1: didn't even say it was a pejorative term at the time he just said no, you know no. use that when you take the name of jesus christ out of the church that's the major victory for satan
2: you know, are right. And people have taken it way too far. They, they, they seem to think that if I even use the word Mormon, that's a victory for Satan. That's not what he meant. And even in the church manuals, that's what they think that they meant. That's why they renamed yeah. the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and got rid of Mormon Helping Hands. Honestly, yeah. they're, all, they're all misinterpreting his comment, in my opinion. Yeah.
1: And, you know, true to form, the Latter-day Zeitgeist out there has uh, taken his words and blown it completely out of perspor- per- pers- proportion. Uh, by saying that, well, the Mormon, the word Mormon is just as offensive as the N-word. Uh, no, not by a long shot. (laughs) (laughs) No.
2: no. To our listeners out there, um, Mm -hmm. if you made it this far, drop us a like, drop us a comment. We really appreciate you uh, Mm -hmm. listening and and helping us roommate on the Great and Spacious Beehive. And I want to thank my co-host Al as well.
1: Well, like we said, this is a juicy episode.
2: (laughs) Sure was. I wish we had. I didn't get a chance to go over all of the Elder Bednar comments because he had a lot of other good ones. Sure did. But we will link to it in the sure show notes. Did. And uh, if you only watch some of it, just watch the last twenty minutes with the Q and A. Really good stuff. Thanks a lot, Al. Yeah,
1: and thank you, Divas. Um We look forward to seeing you guys next week, where we talk more about um, the Mormon news, and we'll play you out with uh, some more. Thank you again to Weird Alma for letting us use his music. Um, we're we're gonna see exi- here here it goes again. Um, President Nelson telling us that um, it's a major victory for Satan.
3: When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's church is a major Major victory victory for Satan. 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 Satan.
1: Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral
3: constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints.
1: Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for for supporting us on Patreon.com.